name is Gabe Phillips, and uh, I'm part of the pastoral team here, married to an amazing lady called Fiona. We've got two beautiful kids, and it's my privilege to be able to preach the Word of God to you today. I want to tell you about a decade called the 90s. Some of you might remember it a bit more than others, I might say. No names, but just watch the eyes. But um, the 90s was a simpler time, you know. There were no cell phones. There was no internet. And there were basically no problems. There were basically no problems. You see, life was easy. Life was simple. There was no issues. The only big questions of the day that we sort of wrestled with was we had to wrestle with whether we were going to, is Coke truly better than Pepsi? We, we had to wrestle with questions like, are Milli Vanilli the real deal or just lip syncing? We had to deal, wrestle with these sort of questions and the ever ongoing debate. When is it truly hammer time? Is it ever hammer time? We got to realize these sort of things you see in the 90s. But uh, in 1991, an advertising company launched what has become one of the most memorable and recognizable strap lines and, and advertising campaigns uh, ever, ever since that moment. And it was a sort of advert that was around a lady and people wondering how she got it, the it factor. And they asked the question, maybe she was born with it, or maybe it's Maybelline. The it factor. And ever since that moment, it's, it's, it almost feels like it was like a cascading effect of people trying to go after this elusive thing called it. And the, every American Idol's judge will say, dog, you've got it. You've got it. What are we looking for, dog? You've got it, you know? And it's almost like this, try, this, this thing that was a relentless desire of pursuing it, and we're not too sure what it is, this elusive, mystical creature. And it's, it's almost ramped up. In 2021, it's almost ramped up to a, a degree that we've never known before. Pulpits around the world, politicians, social media platforms are trying to get us to get differing degrees and varieties of it. They're trying to tell you, you must do this. You must get success. Get it. They're telling us, get influence. Get it. Get happiness. Get it. Telling us to get a bigger bank balance. Telling us to get bigger influence. They're telling us to get smaller debt and a smaller waistline. They're telling us to get at any cost. Get your platform. Get your promotion. Get your peace of mind. Get your passport. Get your partner. Whatever you do, get it. And I'm exhausted. Because I'm a bit confused, if I'm honest, but today I want to try and help us bring some clarity to it and help navigate our hearts and orient our hearts around the true pursuit. And I want to tell you the title of my sermon today is Get It. I want to help us get it today. You see, the Gospel of Mark was written with this intention in mind. You see, there are four different uh, Gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, who wrote different, had different eyes on, on this Jesus story unfolding before them. And they wrote down the, the chronological order of events and the, the narratives and what took place. But each of them had an agenda why they were writing. They were writing the same story, but you see, Matthew was writing to a, a largely Jewish audience, trying to convince a Jewish audience of, of Jesus' deity. And that's why he started with genealogies and tracing back Jesus' lineage back to Abraham. It was important for them to get it that Jesus was from that line. Luke wrote an orderly account because he was a doctor. And he, he was trying to make sure that this was understandable, that Jesus was the son of man. That's why he traced Jesus' lineage way back, even before Abraham, to Adam, rooted in the earthiness. And we, that we get in Luke, the, the longest of the baby Jesus narratives, the, the manger narratives is around in the Gospel of Luke, trying to earth us in the story. And then we've got the, 
gospel writer John, who is uh, telling us that his whole agenda was not just to say, yes, he's the son of man, but Jesus is the son of God. At the end, he said, I'm writing this so that you would believe. And he puts the seven I am's and the seven miracles and it's just this prophetic book. And he starts saying, in the beginning, he says, God is bigger. God is beyond yourself. And it's this beautiful idea, helping us get it. But Mark, what I love about the, the gospel writer Mark, he, he almost bypasses all those other agendas. He's, he's almost like the gospel for simple folk like you and me, or should I just say like me. And, uh, and, and it's almost, he's written for the Gentiles, those who do not have a pedigree, don't have a background, a history, but actually just want to get in on it. And the gospel writer Mark starts his gospel out with this line, this is the good news of Jesus Christ. He lays it out up front. This is what I'm trying to get you to understand. I want you to get it. There's no babies. There's no lists. We start off as a page opens on the gospel of Mark. We get full throttle, fully grown, hair on chest, kicking down doors, taking names, Chuck Norris Jesus. It is, it is full, uh, full on from the word go because Mark is trying to help us get it that this thing, this idea of Jesus is much more than just an idea. He's wanting to push us today. It's, not, it's much more than just a concept or a theological construct. He's wanting us to get it that Jesus is full of power and authority, the real deal. And that gets us to the end of Mark chapter 4, a famous narrative where the disciples who are still trying to understand it, trying to get it, to get in on this story, and they're in the boat going across the Sea of Galilee, and they're fishermen, and the wind and the waves start to rise up in this incredible storm, uh, a terrifying magnitude. And it, it strikes, it's so big, it strikes fear in seasoned fishermen's hearts. They'd seen storms. They'd seen these moments before. But this was obviously of such epic proportions that they themselves were terrified. And where was Jesus? Sleeping in the back of the boat. So much so they wake him up and they say, Jesus, don't you care if we drown? And Jesus gets up and this incredible thing with just two words. He eyes the storm. There's no fanfare around him. He just says, be still. And the wind and the waves stop. It's like someone presses mute or someone presses pause on your television. All of a sudden, that raging storm whoop, is gone in a moment. And guess what? The disciples are terrified because all of a sudden they are no longer terrified of the storm. They're terrified of this man, Jesus. And they say, who is this man that the wind and the waves obey him? And Jesus answers them this question. He says, why do you still doubt? In layman's terms, Jesus looked at them and says, don't you get it? As he's inviting him, inviting his disciples into the story. So today, whether you're on the couch at home or whether you're in the car park with us here, I want to invite you in the story because I want you and I to get it I want us to get it. I want us to move us from, from just seeing protocol. I want to give us power over protocol. I want to get us from going through the miracle. I want us going through miracles rather than just going through the motions. I want the real over religion. I want it. And I'm praying for you that you want in on that today as well. So I want to ask you, write in the chat or shout out your window, whatever you need to do at this moment, right? Get it. Get it. Come on. Oh, I love it. It's great to preach with the team. It's even greater to preach preaching with you today. Why don't we pray together as we lean into the Word of God? I thank you, Jesus, for your presence here today. I thank you that we're not banding about ideas or concepts or trying to put a, a, a filter on our lives that would maybe help us 
navigate these crazy seasons. No, I thank you, Father, that you're moving us beyond all those things, beyond religion, beyond protocol, beyond going through the motions, and we are going to get it. I thank you, Father. We ask the question, who is this man? Is he a comfort? Is he a crutch? Is he an add-on, a pick-me-up? No, Jesus, we declare today from the onset, you are it. The final say, the final word, the final authority. And we want in on it, not just for one day when, but right now in the very midst of the storm, in the very midst of the wind and the waves, we want to see you. We want to get it. And I pray this for us in Jesus' name. Amen. So the book of Mark continues. Mark chapter 4 ends with them asking this question, who is this man? And it's almost like Mark, the gospel writer, wants to answer that question. He, he almost rolls on in chapter 5, in, in, in a long chapter, he answers again and again this question of who is this man, and he wants us to get it. He's wanting us not to leave us doubting, he wants us in on it. And I want to help us today, three things from the, the, the chapter 5 of Mark chapter 5 that we need to get in on, that we need to know it, is that Jesus, number one, has power and authority over demons, he has power and authority over demons. And right now, I know as I say that word demons, some of you might have gone, hi, bo. A little bit, whoa, this thing's taking a big turn from Maybelline to demons. That was quick. But I want you to get it today. So we're going to read the Bible. Mark chapter 5 starts like this. When Jesus climbed out of the boat, a man possessed by an evil spirit came out from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the burial caves and could no longer be restrained even with a chain. Whenever he was put into chains and shackles, as he often was, he snapped the chains from his wrists and smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Day and night, he wandered among the burial caves and in the hills, howling and cutting himself with sharp stones. Just want to pause it right there. Just this, this narrative we've entered into, we've got to understand the context of the day. Jesus gets out of the boat with these terrified and fresh-faced Jewish boys, and they are, they've hit the motherlode. They've hit the trifecta where they're not supposed to be. Firstly, they've arrived in Gentile country where they're not supposed to be. Secondly, they meet a man with demons who's coming out of the tombs, the burial, the burial area, which again was expressly forbidden in the law. Don't go anywhere near anything that is, that is demonic in nature or has been around death in nature. And thirdly, you will find out in the story, when Jesus eventually drives out the demons, he casts them out into a herd of pigs, which again is another no-no. It's like the, because Jewish boys don't do bacon. They're not doing a BLT. Like, no, 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 I'll do a BLT, keep the B. It's just like, no, no. That's not, not, not for us. So every single thing of their insecurities, they're like, this is not what I bought in. No, this is not it. Surely this is not it. This can't be what was described to us of what the Messiah would look like. No, 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 no. It's, just, it's outside of our paradigm. But they arrive in this moment and they meet a man who was isolated, forsaken, riddled with demons. So much so that when the demonic speaks, the demonic answers Jesus when he says, what is your name? He says, My, our name is Legion, was the demon speaking, saying, there are many of us. This was not a small fry case. This was something huge. And, I, and he was a man who was endlessly tormented, could not be restrained, night and day, cried out in pain, in agony, in desperation to be free. And I love the line that says, no one was strong enough to subdue him. No one was strong enough to hold him. That means people had tried, they'd put all their efforts in, but now they'd given up. And everyone had walked away from him into Jesus. The only one who has power and authority over the demonic. 
And the scripture says that while Jesus was still some distance away, even while he was at a distance, the demonic of this man resonated with the true source of power and authority that was coming its way. So much so that the man saw him, ran to him, and bowed down before him. The demons recognize that there is a power and authority that's greater than any other human effort that can subdue it. There's one named Jesus walking into the story. And it's, it's a crazy moment where Jesus speaks to this man, speaks to the demon, says, come out of him, you evil spirit. And the evil spirit obeyed. And for time's sake, the narrative, he drives it out to a herd of pigs who throw themselves over the cliff. And this, it causes an uproar in the city and the crowd come together saying, what on earth is going on? And this is the one line as Mark has used five, six verses to tell us about this man's torment, the extent of his brokenness, the extent of his, his, his stronghold and the shackles on his life. Just one verse is needed to tell us what Jesus did in his life in an instant. It says the people came out and when they, what they found there was a man who was now fully clothed, perfectly sane, and they were afraid. <laughs> they were terrified and answered, who is this man that can perform such miracles? And I want to help us in this moment. What relevance, uh, relevance or relevance, depending on what language you're using, um, <laughs> what relevance does this have? to 2021. Maybe, oh, we've been more sophisticated than that. Okay, we've come a long way. We have internet now. It's no longer dial-up. We don't, the, the demonic, no, 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 no. It's, that's, that's for a, a simpler time, a more naive time. But I want to help us today and this under, get this understanding in our hearts that actually for us, we say it again and again, maybe the with our world so divided with politics and agendas and ideologies and, and are you left or right? Are you, are you liberal or you conservative? What's your take on this thing? And we feel like we have to have a take on everything all the time and it's feeling exhausting. Jesus walks in the story and, I, and it reminds us in the, at the outset that actually our wrestle is not against flesh and blood. Our wrestle is not against politicians or ideas. Our wrestle is against principalities and powers of darkness. We have to get it. Too much of the church is asleep to this reality and are being taken hold of and allowing our world to be tormented, but we have to get it today. You see, the word that I love to use is words like strongholds. If you want to think about the demonic and its influence in your life, either demons have stopped existing or they've just maybe become a little bit clever in the way they seduce us and the way they constrain us. The word is strongholds, addictions, anxieties, vice-like grips on our lives and our thinking and our thought life and our hearts. We've become riddled, monopolized. and our thinking, we would do anything to be free. Maybe you are watching this and uh, you would answer the question, who is this man? You maybe, the public know you with some sort of persona, but you ask the question, who, is, who am I? Who is this man? And everyone else knows about the bravado, the excitement, the, the front face, the social media filters. But when you ask, who is this man in the quiet of the night? When no one else is around, you hear the voice say, you are weak. You are unstable. You are fearful. You are bound. You are defeated. The voice of the demonic. A few years ago, when I was at university, a friend of mine and I, we were praying for the sick and God was working in power. And word came out that, there was a, that this was happening. And a girl came to us and said, are you the guys praying for the sick? We said, yes. She said, well, what, can you come with me? I need you to pray for my friend. She's in a bad way. So we followed her through a maze of hallways. And we, she led us all the way up to this, this, this room where she said, outside the door, said, please take your shoes off before you enter. Which I was a bit perplexed by. I took my shoes off, looked up, and I saw the sign on the door said, the Bhakti Yoga Society, which is the the... the the hub of the Hindu influence on campus. 
And as a young Christian boy, I thought, oh my goodness, what are we getting ourselves into? You can keep the pigs and the tombs. This is the mother load. I don't know if I should go in here. feels weird. And I opened the door and there was a mystical music and there was uh, uh, incense and haze in the place. There was statues and posters of, of, the, of the different varying uh, Hindu deities. And there are people holding prayer beads and, sing, and talking to themselves in the corner and a, and a heaviness over the place. And I, I was like, what, what am I doing? I, I, don't, I don't have it. I don't have it. I don't know how to deal with this. And the girl led us to uh, her friend who was in the corner in a, in a bad way. And, and she said, my friend's got anemia and, and it seems like she doesn't know, there's no cure. She doesn't know how to get better. Can you pray for her? And I, I was self-doubt. Do I have it? Do I have what it takes? And the deep internal voice reminded me that you've got it. You've got it. Jesus has power and authority over demons, over darkness over the most depraved situations. And I, I stood up and we started to pray for her and declare the goodness of God in a room. And all the tension was arrested and felt, this is awkward, this is weird. People looking at us, what are you doing? And declaring the name of Jesus. And we got to the point where we finished. And I looked up and I finished, said amen. I realized one hand was on her shoulder and my other hand was on the, the God figure, Ganesha. As I, was, I was leaning on Ganesha while I was praying healing in Jesus' name. It's like, that's the authority we hold in this moment. And, and I, the story goes, as we left that place two weeks or so later, that same girl found us and said, are you the guys that prayed for us? And I said, yes, I, was, I think I was the guy. She said, I had anemia. I still don't even know what anemia is. But, but she said, the doctors have told me my anemia has gone. That's the power of our God. That's the power and authority. And I want you to get it, not just stories of it, but I want you and I to get it. This is what we need in our lives. You see, I want to ask, tell you today, Jesus is still our deliverer. Who is this man who has power and authority over demons and sets the captives free? His name is Jesus. Don't you get it? Don't you get it? Secondly, I want to tell you, Jesus not only has power and authority over demons, the narrative just rolls straight on. It tells us that he has power and authority over disease, over disease. You see, he gets out the boat on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, and he runs headlong into a crowd. And in the midst of this crowd is a woman. The Bible just tells us a woman with an issue of blood. That is the only description we get of her. Not a name, not, no, nothing else, just but for 12 years, this woman has had this issue surrounding her life. This has been her identity. Mark tells us that she has spent all that she has on doctors and she's still found no cure. She has wrecked herself. She's depleted herself, come to the end of herself financially, emotionally, physically, socially. You see, she, she even shouldn't have even been in that crowd. The Jewish law said that if you are, have an issue of blood, you must be separated from the community separate yourself she was actually violating the law to be in that place but you see a whole crowd around Jesus wanted to get it what they thought it was in their eyes was a good teacher or maybe somebody who who was going to lead them against the the Roman oppression and set them free in a military battle but there was one woman in the crowd who saw Jesus as healer and says I want it I want it I'm not going to let anything else dissuade me I want it she pushed through. She pushed through the crowd and deliberately, the scripture says she deliberately, deliberately, deliberately touched the hem of Jesus' garment. And it says that power went out from him. And I love this word. It says, immediately she was healed. In the book of Mark, that word appears nearly in every story, the immediate power of God. And I want you to get it. We've become so used to delays and, and another time, another day, maybe in one day when. I want to tell you about the immediate power and authority of Jesus. 
It's available to you now. I want us to get it. You see, I say this with such conviction that the name of coronavirus is under the name of Jesus. The name of cancer is under the name of Jesus. The name of anemia, of back pain, of, of headaches, of kidney failure is under the name of Jesus. Jesus still has power and authority over diseases. He is still our healer. He is Jehovah Rapha, our healer. This is what He does. This is who He is. And I ask again, who is this man who has power and authority over diseases? His name is Jesus. Don't you get it? Don't you get it? Thirdly and finally today, He has power and authority over demons, over diseases. But ultimately, He has power and authority over death itself. You see, the third and final story in this run-on narrative of the book of Mark in chapter 5 is he, he's waylaid by this crowd and this woman who's pushed through, but he's actually on the way to a political leader's house named Jairus who has called for his attention and says, my, my daughter is sick and needs you. And Jesus is on the way there, but on the way there after this miracle, he hears a muttering because people in the crowd have gotten used to Jairus and maybe a text has come through, maybe it was a tweet, I don't know if it was more commonplace days these days but but words somehow gets to Jairus that actually don't even bother the teacher anymore your daughter's died it's, it's too late it's done and the scripture tells us Jesus overheard them but ignored them and and carried on to Jairus's house and it's this incredible story because it's amazing the parallels you see the Bible tells us Mark tells us that this woman with the issue of blood struggled for 12 years when we arrive at Jairus's, Jairus's house we find out that his daughter is 12 years old and it's not by any accident because that these events were orchestrated. And I say it again, it's not by accident that you are here or, or, or listening to the sermon today. This is not by accident. Heaven wants you to get this. He wants you to get it. That actually the number 12 in, 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 in Hebrew numerology and biblical numerology, understanding of that is the number 12 represents power and authority. Isaac had 12 sons. There were 12, the 12 tribes of Israel, 12 stones on the high priest's garments, 12 disciples. It's around God's power and authority that's being released to the nations. And I love this, that when I think about it, it's almost like those TV shows when if you could imagine like a flashback moment, 12 years go back, and out of the same hospital, I can imagine one family, Jairus and his wife, walk out with a little happy baby going, so much hope and future, and wow, a little girl. But on the same day, another woman was walking out looking at a diagnosis, weeping, because doctors had said to that woman, there's no cure for your disease. We don't know what to do. You have to go into isolation, move away. Two fortunes, one of despair, one of joy. But now fast forward 12 years later, that woman who walked out in despair now has been healed and restored. But now that family who is holding on to the hope for the future, their daughter has died. Almost a reversal of fortunes, but yet their stories are cohesively held together with the fact that Jesus walks into the middle of both of them. Oh, I love it. I absolutely love it. You see, on arrival, Jesus says this, don't you get it? He says to the crowd, don't you get it? She's not dead. She's just sleeping. To which the crowd that were gathered there who had been weeping and mourning one moment transitioned to another moment and all of a sudden on hearing what Jesus said, they start to laugh. They start to laugh. And that word laugh in the original language means an arrogant dismissal of his power. Derisive laughter. Ha <laughs> ha, don't be silly. And almost they rhetorically ask back to him, don't you get it? She's dead. She's dead. This family is dead. Don't you get it? Don't come here with your, your new sayings, Jesus. But Jesus responded and made them leave. 
and, and he went into the room, closed the door behind him, went into the room of the, the, the girl who was in, in man's eyes dead. And he went in just with the mother and father and just with three disciples. And as he went in, it was almost like this quiet, quiet moment. The others with, we had the demonic yelling and shouting and screaming. And we've got a crowd gathered around Jesus and a woman pushing through. But now we get to this moment where it's so quiet. And it's this moment where Jesus walks in and he, he does simple things. It says, the Bible says he took her hand. It's this intimate moment, took her hand. And I can almost hear Jesus whispering it. You see, Jesus' authority and power is not resting on the loudness of his voice. It's resting on just his whisper. And as he whispers, he says, Talitha Kuhm, little girl, get up. In that moment, I can imagine stillness in the home. But then all of a sudden, tingling in the little girl's body. All of a sudden, color flooding back into her cheeks. All of a sudden, a sharp intake of breath. <gasps> Eyes open and joy flood back. Joy unspeakable as the parents don't know what to do as they fall back. I can imagine terrified as they started to look at this man, look at their daughter, look at this man, a daughter who was dead but now is alive. Look at that man and say, who is this man? Who is this man? Who is this man that walked into that situation and changed the dynamic? I want to say to us today, I want us to get it. I want my heart to get it, my fragile, unbelieving heart, that the centerpiece of our faith is not teachings, not moralistic ideas, not theological constructs, but the centerpiece of our faith is a God who died but then rose again in power. That is the good news. We have access to resurrection power from heaven. Don't you get it? I want to say today, who is this man that even death itself bows down and submits to the mere whisper of his voice? Don't you get it? Don't you get it today? I tell you, he's authority over demons, disease, death itself. Now the only question is, how do you and I get it? Well, I'm glad you asked because I've got an answer for you today. According to this chapter, Mark tells us that if we want to get it, we first have to get through. If we want to get it, we first have to get through. You see, I really believe this, that deliverance is for the desperate. Scrap that. I don't believe that. Scripture tells us that. That actually deliverance is for the desperate. That God works not based on our needs, but on our faith. And I, I believe we've become so sophisticated that we've actually sometimes kept it at arm's length and we've pushed away the, the encounter that we need, the real that we need, the power we need, the miracle we need. But we actually, we stay back at an arm's length. You see, we often don't get it because we don't get through our sophistication, our embarrassment, our pride, our insecurities, our safe Christianity. 15 years ago, I sat in a, in a chair in a, in a church in Durban, wrestling with this, this, this inside of me of who is this man? And I knew that I was weak, shackled, broken to this thing of internet pornography, addicted, a demonic addiction on my heart that could not get free. I could not try hard enough, promise enough, could not get free. free. And I, I wrestled in that moment. Am I gonna sit here and leave with it still having a hold on me? Or am I now gonna get it and allow Jesus to have a hold on me? And in that moment, I remember getting up, walking to a friend and said, I'm going to get through my self-obsession. I'm going to get through what people think of me because I want it. Likewise, a woman for 12 years, 12 years of isolation, pain, embarrassment. But in one moment, there was nothing that was going to hold this woman back from getting it, getting Jesus. If you want to get it, you've got to get through. Secondly, I want to tell you, if you want to get it, you've got to tell some things to get out. Get out. You see, 
that scripture tells us that the word came, she's, your daughter has died. The Bible says, and Mark says that Jesus overheard them, but a better rendition is Jesus ignored them. He ignored the naysayers and kept on resolutely going. And he gets there, tells her all along had been followed by a crowd. At that instance, he stopped the crowd. And when he gets to her house, the Bible and the people start laughing at him, arrogantly dismissing his power. The Bible tells us that he made them get out. Those people who were weeping and mourning and wailing, the people who maybe had even thought they had a right to be there, Jesus said, no, get out. The better rendering of that text is he violently, physically threw them out. Threw them out. I want you to get that. I want you to get it. This is how Jesus, how he works. And because I've been watching on TV this week, uh, the, the, the situation going on in Afghanistan. Dreadful, terrible situation as Taliban rule emerges and torment. And I saw this one incident where a CNN reporter was reporting and, and in the background were a Taliban uh, regime with AK-47 shooting bullets in the air, yelling chants, death to America. And she said this phrase that haunted me. It said, they're yelling death to America, and yet they seem peaceful. And as I heard that, I realized, wow, isn't that the way I sometimes tolerate things in my life that should not be there? Demonic activity, the work of the enemy that I've allowed in, but actually we're supposed to be driven out. Not just tolerate. It's not causing deep harm right now, but it's eking away, eating away at my soul, eating away at our family, at our future, when actually we've been given authority, we've been given it to drive it out. I want to tell you today, there's some of us here have allowed things into our minds, into our homes, into our marriages, into our families that are supposed to be driven out. Don't just try to ignore it or suppress it or stop it in your own strength. Tell it to get out. Get out. I say to you today, that secret porn addiction, tell it to get out. That illicit affair and relationship that nobody else knows about, get out! This is God's word to you and I, the crippling bitterness and unforgiveness in your heart and you're wanting, I don't get it, just I don't care, get out! Today is the word of the Lord, deep-seated racism, violent rage and anger, heartbreaking depression and anxiety and suicidal thoughts, get out, get out, get out! I declare today that unrelenting pain from abuse from your past, get out! Slam the door. Slam the door. Shut it today. If we want to get it, we've got to get through. We've got to tell some things to get out. And ultimately, thirdly and finally today as we land, we've got to tell some things in our lives and we've got to respond and get up. Get through, tell them to get out, and then get up. You see, I want to tell you today, hear the tender whisper of resurrection power today. The tender whisper of heaven today. Maybe the enemy has been shouting death over every area of your life. Maybe you have no more hope. Maybe he shouted death and addicted and broken and, and flawed and, and useless and arrogant. And you've the same thing again and again. And, and, and the strongholds have crippled your life. And you don't know how to get through. I want to tell you today, hear the whisper of Jesus who shuts the door. Takes hold of your hand and says, get up. Get up. You're never too far gone. Dead marriages, get up. Dead faith, dead hope, dead relationships, dead diagnoses, dead finances, dead emotions, get up. I declare it by the name of Jesus, the name that's all power and authority today. I declare from heaven, you're not dead, you are just sleeping. 
You're not dead. You're just sleeping. Awake, awake, awake in Jesus' name. I thank you, Father. I say, receive heaven's word now. Get up. Obey heaven's word. So today, as we land, I want to tell you who is this man? Who is this man that the wind and the waves obey him? Who is this man who has power and authority over demons, over diseases, over death itself? Who is this man who took every sin, who took every shame, who took every stronghold, every sickness, every satanic curse onto himself, onto that cross? Who is this man? Who is this man who rose from the dead, flung wide eternity's gates and declares to you and I today, come and get it. Who is this man? His name is Jesus. And he is wanting us in on it so that our world can see and receive it from us. Let's pray. Father, I thank you right now from the couches to the car park, from the church, then to the cities. I thank you that we would get it so that we can give it. That we would get it so we can give it. I thank you, Father. Now is the time for us. Not another moment, not delayed, not another, put it off for another day. I thank you, Father God, for deliverance to come in Jesus' name. I pray for healing to come in Jesus' name. I come God right now. I pray for salvation and resurrection power in Jesus' name. I thank you that the name of Jesus has all the power and authority over demons, over diseases, over death itself. And the gates of hell will not prevail as we choose to get it. Today, I get it. I get it. Holy Spirit, would you get a hold of us so we could get a hold of all that you have laid a hold of us for? I thank you for this. In Jesus' name, I pray that we would get it. Right now, as you're watching, whether it's online or in your car right now, I believe the power of God, the authority of God is right now there for salvations. If you've been running from God, today is the day to come home. Today is your day for salvation. Respond right now. Right now, respond. Respond. Say, Jesus, I get it. I surrender. I get it. I get it. I bow my knee. Today is the day for salvation. Today is the day for healing. Maybe right now you are needing a touch from heaven. There's a diagnosis that's been declared over your life and you've been tolerating. Today is a day to get through. Today is a day to get up in Jesus' name. I declare healing power, healing power. If you're in cars, open your windows now. Lift your hands up. We've got teams, teams who want to come and pray on your car for the healing power of Jesus. But receive it right now. Receive it. Get it. Get it. Get it. I thank you, Father, for that right now. I also thank you, Father, for deliverances. Strongholds, addictions would crumble right now. I thank you, Father God, things that we've tolerated, things that have, that have gripped us that we've not been able to get away with. I've even got ideas, people who've got suicidal thoughts, people who've been tolerating thoughts of leaving their, their husband or wife and say, oh, I want to get out. I can't get out. Today I'm saying, you don't have to get out. You've got to get him in to get it. I pray that right now, Father God, deliverance where the enemy is lying, lies will be broken in Jesus' name. I thank you, Father. I thank you, Father. You take hold of our hand. You shut the door. And you say, get up. I pray this and I declare it. Today, we choose to get it. In the name of Jesus. Amen, 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 amen.